0: Eric Cantona or Thierry Henry, N'Golo Kante or Emmanuel Petit, Sébastien Chemel or Gilles Grimondi. This is Le Classique, and this is a podcast on the 50 best French players in the Premier League's history. So hi everyone, this is Tom. I'm joined as always with Baptiste. How are you, Baptiste? I'm
1: I'm awesome. I'm really looking forward to this.
0: (laughs) Okay, we've been. This is a debate that we've been having, I suppose, amongst ourselves for a long time on WhatsApp groups and chats. Decades, decades on. I guess the list of best French players that we've seen here on these shores, particularly in the Premier League time. I mean, it's a nation that's incredibly well represented over here in footballing terms. Yeah. I saw some data actually coming out recently that it's after England, the nation that's the most represented in the premier leagues history, which is quite impressive, right? When you consider that includes nations like Ireland, Mm. like Scotland, like Wales, France is ahead of them, right? So we, there's a a lot, there's a big pool of talent and maybe lesser talent (laughs) to pick from. Uh, And it, you know, you'd think fifty players is a, is a lot, but there's a lot to pick from, and it wasn't actually so easy. No,
1: it was it was a struggle. It was a struggle. It was a, a good struggle. struggle, but I think some players' position on that list just moved dramatically from start to finish.
0: Completely, and it's all it's we all have our own biases, right? As kind of fans, I think that we like to to see and things that cer you know some yeah. of us will value less highly. <laughs> And I think it's always worth noting with these kinds of lists that, of course, they're subjective. So the Guardian, for example, mm. do their list of I think it's the hundred best female and male players. Yeah, and that always in leads to sort of terrible debates online, <laughs> right? About how dare you put Modric here or there, or you know, <laughs> players falling and rising from, from year to year. So we're aware that you can never be completely objective about these things, and we've been.
1: And and there is an element of subjectivity. We sure, can't get away from sure. it. I mean, we obviously try to be as thorough as possible. Um, and we've obviously got some criteria that we've used to be as objective as possible, but you know, you can't help but be, have rose tinted glasses and have a little tinge of nostalgia sometimes. I,
0: d- I think we've done <laughs> quite a good job at controlling for that. Actually. There <laughs> yeah. are quite a lot of kind yeah. of more recent players on the, on the list. And so in terms of criteria, I suppose they're, they're kind of two big categories that we've, gone for, the first one being obviously kind of performance, yeah. so this is both, um, how would you put this, so it's both kind of the, the peak performance that these players mm. have reached, but also of course consistency, right, so yeah. what's the the, the saying, uh, so it's how brightly the stars shine, but also for how long, yeah. right? <laughs> and we're trying to find a kind of a, a way of combining those, and what's so interesting with this French category now is that you have really people that fall into both both brackets
1: there yeah it, ultimately there are very few players who fall into both but there, <laughs> there are some whose star shone bright very very bright but very very briefly and they're the, you know they're the funs, fun ones more fun ones and then some who were just incredibly consistent for a long period of time at a high level didn't didn't need to be at a top four club i think if you if you're a player in the premier league for more than five years you're an excellent player already i think what was funny was as we were going through the list (laughs) we were each of us was sitting on the opposite direction so you 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 know i was sort of mr consistency guy and has that player played you know 12 years in the premier league yes that's really impressive he should be high and you were you know I you was pushing absolutely for the
0: half-season <laughs> wonders, you know. So an example of that would be someone like, you know, Dimitri Payet or mm. Hatem Benafa, right, who had maybe one brilliant season but couldn't replicate that over the long term or left but still left such great memories. Yeah. And on the other side of the extreme, you would have, uh, you know, and we won't reveal where people end up, right, but guys like Sylvain Distin, mm. Steven Enzonzi, you know, kind of maybe less glamorous players but yeah. impressive careers in in english football so that's i guess sort of how we've interpreted performance yeah but there's another i think important category that we sort of called here or criteria which is kind of cultural impact and that can be both at the national level of course this is quite rare right because it's, it, hmm. it takes a lot to have an impact on the country as a whole but i think some of these players have but that can also be at an individual club you know these people that end up as just legends of their teams even if maybe they haven't quite um been on the agendas of everyone across the country
1: yeah yeah no there's some of the players on the list became cult heroes and they didn't necessarily stay long but actually if you ask fans of that particular club they will tell you automatically name me a french player who played for your club and it, that person and will be the there, first on their list away. and they will look upon those players fondly uh, and that's and that's uh, and we've looked more for positive cultural impact, right? So p- people who are remembered for the right reasons. I, I I quite like the ones whose legends have been sort of grown <laughs> out of nowhere, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in a way. Um, and every club, every club has players that they it, cherish, yeah. even though they might not necessarily have been outstanding or there for very long, but they just have very fond memories.
0: Completely, and I think it's nice when we go through the list and you see kind of the, the combination of those <laughs> two types of players, right? from, from cult heroes to kind of dependable players. Um, this first kind of episode here, we're not actually going to go through the players in the list. We're going to go no. through some, first of all, some kind of players who missed the cut, but also yeah. people that have really <laughs> did not end up on the list. Right, so we've got a kind of a flop eleven of French players that maybe came to these shores and disappointed a little bit. Um, but I know that kind of before we dive into that, you wanted to give a little bit of a kind of context, I suppose, for French players in, in the UK, because it's quite an interesting time. They're not the first kind of foreigners to arrive mm. in the Premier League. But as we've discussed, they've become kind of the most popular nationality in, in the EPL. But that certainly wasn't the case at the start of the league in the kind of early and mid-90s.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Premier League... When it starts, and remember, there's no football world before the Premier League starts. That's it's the nothing. official version, right? It's a just desolate it's a landscape, of nothing. <laughs> um, mm. But obviously, the Premier League in sort of the early nineties, it's still, uh, it's not the most open of leagues in terms of foreigners coming in. It's still um, very limited in terms of numbers. But actually, what was interesting when we did the research was when you looked at the players, you know, ninety two, ninety three, ninety four in the uk they were primarily sort of (laughs) dull scandinavians Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, you know they they had that sort of cultural proximity and closeness it's without jumping into stereotypes it's people who have an affiliation and who have a similar type of mentality of maybe sort of you know valued for their hard work their decency their ability to fit in very well is 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 not it's a good cultural fit because our societies feel very similar as opposed to france or spain or a mediterranean country where you know it's sort of you know fiery players and uh, mercurial rather than um rather than sort of tactically gifted or uh, sensible players right and i think we also have to look at it with the lens of yeah, the Premier League in the early 90s wasn't necessarily blessed with tactical um it, novelty.
0: It's quite shocking when you see some of the football from from <laughs> that era. I mean, we've revisited one or two games for for fun and also you see it obviously with shows like Premier League year stuff mm. like that. And it is really quite sort of agricultural, right? Yeah. A long ball, very physical. I mean, it's a, it's a cliché, right, but that is what it was like. And as you say, it's quite funny when you you know the names of those early transfers. It's very much kind of Scandi's an Irishman, it feels like, with the early imports into the Premier League. Gunnar Gunna Haller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> young you know, Jensen. It's weird, like, you know how young people now all know football because of uh, FIFA, right? So that's how they'll know players yeah. is through FIFA. And a lot of these guys I know from Championship, the old Championship <laughs> Manager, Championship Manager 3, you know, Henningberg. I'm not, I'm not even sure how to pronounce some of these names. But Bjorn, 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 Stinging Bjornaby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, him. Yeah what so what do you think is the the trigger for the change then like is I, is I th- it as simple as the Cantona success
1: i think there's a broader openness to europe that in general we need to take into consideration i think by the mid 90s you know in the uk had become just more attractive to 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 foreigners and actually had been I don't know, I feel like the 90s were just a lot more open than even what we are now. You know, people were... There was a lot of freedom of circulation within within Europe. And obviously, you know, in '95 the Bosman ruling would have impacted things. But uh, you can't underestimate the impact that a single man mm-hmm. <laughs> had. And that man was Eric Cantona.
0: So he joined Leeds in 92? 92, 92. From...
1: Uh, he, <laughs> well, I'm just cracking up because we talked about it in uh, Petit Cotton Yeah, yeah, he yeah. He just, <laughs> he just resiliated, you know, he just terminated his contract with Neem after insulting all the... <laughs> right. All the, <laughs> all sign the of the, things to yeah, come. Yeah, uh, after he'd received a ban, had gone to the Federation, insulted everyone on the committee uh, who was looking into the ban, then announced his retirement. Uh, his retirement from Neem and he was... Twenty-five, twenty-six, um, and as we've discussed, Gérard Houllier in particular was the one who said, "Go to the UK; they will, you will fit in well there. They will enjoy you for the type of player you are," which France really wasn't enjoying at the time. I think he was already a wonderful player, but France had had enough of him. They just cast you know. They were it was sort of good riddance. Uh, and he, you know, he moved to he moved to England. Obviously, moved to Leeds ninety-two uh who ended up winning the Premier League that year. And I think a lot's been made of the fact that he moved to Leeds, they won the title, and obviously then he moved to Man United and they kept winning the title. I I think his the first half of his time at Leeds where they win the title in his first he season He was not such a key player, No, I don't think he plays that that big a role. It just kind of nicely fits the narrative. But certainly, you know, there are no French players that arrive on these shores until ninety five. So for three years he's the only French player mm-hmm. here. And I think what struck people is he came in and just cons- completely um, just lived the way he wanted in a way, just behaved the way he wanted. Because obviously, sort of re- still respectful of people, but he wasn't gonna change his identity. He wasn't. He was this fiery Medi- French Mediterranean man who came to England, just assumed his Frenchness, if I can call it that. Sure. And, and just, you know, and, and people at the start maybe looked at him as a bit of a caricature and he was just happy to sort of be like, no, this is who I am. I'm not going to change that. And people just embraced that, actually.
0: And I suppose that kind of second criteria that we have, which is the, the cultural impact one, is precisely from Cantona. And I remember listening, I think, it, maybe Michael Cox, you know, the football journalist, talking mm. about how, you know, football wasn't mainstream news back then in the way that it is now but that the kind of crystal palace event and yeah. the kung fu kick and that literally did the rounds around the world yeah. right yeah
1: the upturned collar right yeah sure yeah Remember yeah that that, that, nike, that nike advert because yeah. the what was it the demons yeah when he just flip you know flicks his um, collar and just says au revoir before before <laughs> destroying the demon goalkeeper uh,
0: yeah and all this stuff is so iconic but he kind of represents i think more than anyone, that kind of second dimension of a big culture impact. It's <laughs> <And> funny how, <laughs> I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, but a lot of the, the players on this just end up being actors, yeah. which is something in and of itself. Right? Eric Cantona, David Ginola, who will come yeah. a bit later, Franck Lebeuf, which kind of tells you something. I mean, footballers on the whole are not and it, the most charismatic, yeah. I think, on the whole,
1: right? They're professionals, they stay at home. Whereas these guys... And it, it's, yeah, it's funny because well, obviously we've mentioned those three, we'll go through the next two in a little bit more detail, but certainly they were maybe Leboeuf a little bit less so at the time, but they were very charismatic, right? And for me, Cantona, he was the French Zlatan when he came to these shores, you know, just sort of walked in, looked around, nobody was, nobody was better than me here, just sort of, that's it, my personality is going to, leave its mark on the whole team team is going to play the way i want it and actually you know you also hear about the fact that he was extremely professional and you know you read interviews from the famous class of 92 Mm -hmm. as to saying oh when we burst onto the first team you know, we'd finished training and Cantona was there just practicing his free kicks and I felt I had to go. And that, sure. you know, that's what people like Beckham said.
0: And indeed, that's what you hear about Zlatan now, right? The kind of pastoral role that he plays oh. at Milan, but apparently even at PSG, right? And he oh. arrived and he was quite old and his kind of professionalism, attitude, will to win. I think you can forget that with these types of kind oh. of cocky big time Charlies <laughs> is that that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not, a good
1: leader that you're not a good inspiration for those around you absolutely and it's also the confidence and the competitiveness that they have i think that's that also shown through with carton now. you know just the way just his body language when he came onto a pitch you know pe- people look at great leaders you know like roy Keane that night in juventus mm-hmm. etc and you know the scuffle in the tunnel with Vieira. you know but it felt like in a similar way to zlatan you know Conte would just walk up, you know, just strong posture. Look up, you know. He would never look down, you know. It would just be just strength personified walking onto the pitch. And I think if you were following him, you would have thought, yeah, I'm obviously in it. We're in it to win to win this game. Nothing's going to come in our way. So he was he was very competitive, very charismatic, and just it's interesting. He was just in England. He just became this winner. Whilst in France. He was seen as this hot-headed idiot who just kept getting into trouble, and to the detriment of his talent, effectively.
0: And he kind of—I don't know if it's fair to say that he triggers a wave of f- fret signings from France, not necessarily, right? But he—he sh- he shows that it, yeah, it, it can, it can work, and it can work incredibly well. And you do get a kind of gradual in the kind of mid to late nineties increase in signings from. From mm. from France. I don't know if you want to talk through through well, some of them.
1: I, I think two of them came to mind, right, when we when we mm-hmm. looked this up. I think uh, David Ginola obviously came in ninety-five. Similar story to uh Contenac in a way, kind of forced out of France because of what happened in the France Bulgaria game, which was yeah. two years before but had left its marks. And and also again sort of a different kind of charismatic. You know, the sort of, you know, handsome, gallic, sexy, a playboy, yeah, yeah, playboy looks. Se- sexy guy who could just comes in. But also just an incredibly talented um, player who just, you know, a great dribbler, took players on, very exciting winger. And, you know, he, again, sort of, he came and he was the second generation, if I can, it wasn't even a generation, but he was the second wave of that French Revolution, and People's people thought, okay, well, actually, we've had two. We've had a look at two French midfielders, and they're both incredibly exciting to watch and and productive. Um, so, and the and the the third one that we we've been talking about is Franck Leboeuf And funnily enough, that's a different in a di- different uh, registre in a different category, right? So, whereas for Cantona and Ginola it was not. Not really, the sort of a similar thing to could Messi do it on a wet Tuesday night in Stoke, but it was a little bit like, does French sexy players can they actually cut it at this level when they're going to be facing tough bastards who are going to hack them, and and they did. Loubet had the flip side, which was, can he cut it when he's going to have to face those big birdie strikers with their elbows, you know, the Brian Deans of this world, <laughs> sure, the Chris Suttons, yeah, is he, uh, you know. They can teach us how to play football, but actually, when it comes to sort of balls and brawns, can he? Can they actually step up and and Lebeuf, You know, just I mean, within. You know, a couple of games. People like he's one of the best centre backs Chelsea have had <laughs> in the last, and he's and tough as nails.
0: And he because uh, he was known as a sort of quite an elegant sort of ball mm-hmm. playing centre half. And so when does he ar- he arrives in the ninety seven? Uh, no, I think a bit earlier. No? Earlier, no, five, right? Five, yeah, so even before 96. Wenger, because I think that's obviously the next name on yeah. our list, and that p- people often think, oh, this is when France arrives to the UK, and I suppose that's not that's not quite oh. right, right? There are these these yeah. these icons beforehand certainly it's difficult to talk about french football in the english premier league without talking about arsene
1: yeah Ar- Ar- arsene it's it's interesting because he he was seen as this guy who changed so much in english football overall and from a tactical standpoint i would completely disagree with that if somebody told me that but certainly from a from a cultural impact standpoint that is true. I mean, you know, obviously, all the famous stories about how he, you know, looked after Tony Adams, and even though they've had their spats since then, you know, you ask Tony Adams about the impact Vengo um, had on him, and he will say, "We have our differences now, but I own, I owe this guy mm-hmm. everything because he treated me like a human being." And you know, George Graham was encouraging my drinking, whilst Vengo was sort of like, "Take your time. Some stuff, some things are more important." And I think he brought that sort of emotional intelligence and that professionalism to to the English game. Not that all the managers didn't necessarily have that emotional intelligence, that's not, not what I'm saying, but he certainly sort of came in, um, you know, very multicultural, had just coached in Japan, you know, a guy from the east of France, had coached Monaco, you know, kind of different. He, he understood the different cultural as you know, different cultural aspects. And he he came in and, yeah, he changed, he made... He made Arsenal professional, professional, and he provided a bridgehead for for, for French players.
0: And he, there's no doubt that he taps into his knowledge of the yeah. the French market, right? And there is something to be said for the ability to to be able to compare leagues and to say this: these players can do it over here. Yeah, you know, it's often quite difficult to to, to gauge. And you know, maybe the risk isn't massive, right? Because a lot of these players he signs early on are not. Mm. Astronomical fees, mm. but the but the first couple of ones he he does work phenomenally, yeah. Well,
1: but it but it's funny because you know he signs his first signing is Remigard, his first yeah. French signing, a nondescript sort of centre half French player, centre-half. um, and then he kind of mixes you know brings in Vieira who's still quite young, brings in Putty who's more established. It nowadays it feels very much because everything's so open it feels very natural when a coach comes in and brings in his players yeah. and his yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, think of Mourinho when he joined Chelsea, all of a sudden there's a massive Portuguese colony, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yes, yes. And and Wenger was, because he was the first, for, you know, a real foreign manager to come in and at such a big club, he instilled that and made that work very quickly. And and he, where I his intelligence and his great achievement, certainly at the start, was he meshed all that together so nicely um that it was just such a well functioning club and he he didn't make he made the club adapt to the good side of what he'd seen in other countries which was that sort of sense of professionalism but he still kept not only the you know the famous back five but he still kept the at the British attitude to mm-hmm. playing football. So of course the onus was on let's be on the front foot, let's play better football but it was also if I need to you know, fight out a three-two win away at Leicester. Well, I'm going to ask Vieira and Petit to kick people to the ground if if needs be, and I think people just that, yeah, appreciated yeah. that, and that's where he I uh, think that's his great achievement.
0: It's also the kind of because that's what he's known the for in the early years is both, of course, the bringing in of, of flair players, but also a famously kind of ill-disciplined team. <laughs> And famously, he would have these interviews afterwards, right? I did not see it, I don't know, you <laughs> know, <like laughs> well, as, as this kind of Vieira goes in two-footed. But it's true that all these guys help challenge stereotypes about their nation, possibly, you oh. know, yeah. the kind of lazy things that uh, us Brits might think about, the but French, you know, that they're not, they're not. Are hard that they collaborate, they can't go into <laughs> conflicts, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff.
1: There's, there's this great story that I remember. Um, I remember watching a, a few years back, uh, sort of Chris Kamara's goals on Sunday, and they had Ray Parlour, who's now become a bit too much of a caricature of an old player. But even though he's he was extremely talented, had a lot of success. I it loved him as a player, um, but he was on the show, and he was asked about that time when Wenger came in, how much had really changed, etc. And he he said, look, when we had pre season before with George Graham and then Bruce Ryak, who whatever happened to Bruce Ryack, <laughs> um a name lost in history, but you know, he w- he said when we used to have preseason, you would come in, everybody you had put on a few pounds, and you would spend the first week to ten days just running. You wouldn't even touch a football you would just be doing physical drills to lose the weight you gained and to just get into, and into peak physical shape because that's what was expected of you. And he said the first preseason I we had with Wenger, we turned up and it didn't feel like exercise. We were just playing football. You know, every exercise we did we'd had the ball at our feet. And it was all around playing football, which now it sounds it's the basics, right? I mean it, yes. it's, it evolved yeah. so much. But at the time it was it was completely different. And he, he told this story of he went to pre season. I think it was still you know, there was it was still taking place in the UK and they finished pre season, so uh, they finished training that day. So he went to the pub with like, you know, the Martin Keos and Lee Dixon, Nigel Winter, all the boys, you know, all the boys. The back four boys. Yeah. <laughs> and he said they went to the pub, they had a drink, and he looked across and he, across the street was a cafe, and he saw P- putty and viera having a coffee <laughs> 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 having a and coffee i can't remember which one although i would imagine it's pretty having a cigarette and he turned around to i don't know martin Keown and he said we're never going to win anything with those guys <laughs> 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 and obviously they won the double in their first full season
0: it's so funny how ingrained that is because obviously i play amateur football on on saturdays and we and you know people have beers afterwards yeah and then You know, and there will be a French player who has a cigarette and people are like, what are you doing? You know, (laughs) uh, know, whilst everyone's downing these (laughs) pints. The the guy hasn't had a drink, you know, he's just there with his waters, but he's smoking a cigarette. (laughs) How dare you? You know, it's absurd. (laughs) It's absurd. So, uh, obviously, the success that they have triggers also an interest in French managers, you know. So, Mm. we're Fulham fans, right? And Jean Gentiliana came to Fulham with some success. Gérard Roulier obviously... uh, at Liverpool, and it is quite interesting. Obviously, the French community in the UK is large, particularly in London. Mm. And I feel this was—it felt quite big. Like we went to a, a French school, yeah. obviously a, a big French school in in London. And I think it's different now. But the time everyone supported Arsenal, because yeah. Arsenal was the French team in the English Premier League.
1: Yeah, every every full expat, if I could call it that. Yeah, way. every. Yeah. French kid with, who'd just come from France and both his parents were French would have supported Arsenal. Every kid at school who had one French parent and one British or or other or parent of other nationality would have supported most likely Man United at the time. Yes, that was the big... Um, but certainly, it, it, it's funny, it feels... I, I don't have anything to back back it up, but it feels like the, the rise of Arsenal under Wenger combined with the power of financial power of the Premier League and the success of the France team, it feels like it all coalesced into one and include and also included like sort of mass migration from France into London. <laughs> yeah, it's into true. London primarily. It's but it, true. All, is, all, all of a sudden yeah. it felt like Arsenal was the representative for the French enclave in in London, in London primarily because actually, you know, that's where most of the French population in the UK was at the time, and um, it it was just very representative. And people, French people, identified with that club, and yeah, and yeah. took a, it would took a great deal of pride from seeing these pl- French players, including some people, some players, nobody one had ever heard of in France, like Nicolas Nelka, right? Mm. So step up and and lead the way, and do it whilst integrating extremely well within within British culture and society, right? Yes.
0: That's super interesting that you would see these as kind of diplomats for your nation. I suppose that's what that's what they are, right? And football clubs are representatives of a community and usually you think yeah. of that as you know, the commu- the geographic community around yeah. the club, the stadium. But it's true that it can it can also be the 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 representative of a of a nationality to a certain extent. And I guess did you because I suppose the image that Arsenal gave then of France was such a positive one, yeah, right? Of both kind of flair, at, but also of toughness,
1: you know? Yeah. Of style and of grit yeah. and all the... But also, you know, va, va- voom. Yeah. It was fun. It was, it felt light years ahead of other clubs. It felt a lot more ambitious. Yeah. A lot more open-minded. Um, I think, yeah, people people really identified. But it was a, you know, it was a glorious time for french football as a whole i mean that was what wenger was working extremely well in the in england at arsenal but you know 98 to 2002 france is the best side in the world and and a lot of a lot of those players end up end up in england and right?
0: do, you, do you do you feel obviously i'm not the french person and you are <laughs> but do you feel a kind of when <laughs> you know it, when these French players come to England, and you, you, I guess you should want them to do well, right? Yeah. And you feel bad when they don't, particularly if you've big them up to your friends because <laughs> yeah. your league knowledge. <laughs> and you're like, "Don't worry, guys. This boom, guys, <laughs> gonna smash <laughs> it." Yeah, he's or, really <laughs> highly rated. Like, <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> <laughs> What's going yeah. on? But I
1: suppose you have a sort of, you know, yeah, it's a, and it's a, it's skin in the game is too yeah. strong, but no, but it's it's that sense of identifying yeah. those guys, and I think certainly in the early period, if I can call it that, everything. Wenger did because it was primarily Arsenal at the start everything that Wenger did seemed to turn to gold when it came to French players so you know Nicolas Anelka 17 year old who comes in 500 grand two two seasons later he's one of the best strikers in Europe you know Vieira uh, you know had been signed for, uh, from Cannes by Milan didn't work out he was still what 21 when he came in and everybody thought, who's this guy? They've just signed him from AC Brown, but he's never played. Turns up, bosses midfield, and scares the living Jesus out of all the midfielders in the country. Um, you know, Putty is reworked as a as a ball playing holding midfielder. Uh and, you know, it has that sort of Gallic charm with his with his ponytail. You know, everything, like, everything he, worked, he had a ponytail indeed. and it worked. You know, it <laughs> was <laughs> everything was working at the time. And I I think it led to it just led to a wave of, you know, French players and French way of thinking um, into into the Premier League, and that that was the result of decades of work at the French Federation level in terms of building Clairefontaine, and fe- um, Federal Center, where you know, uh, sort of, um, you know, the the French FA leading the way with sending coaches out you know being very structured that meant you had players who were going through the youth ranks and and coming up in France who were very tactically aware technically good um, and and it just led if you combine again if you combine that with the success you know of the France national team and then it was all very attractive and then the, just the boom in financial power of the premier league meant Everyone was coming basically,
0: and you get that kind of in the post, yeah, early 2000s, mm. both 2002 period, and 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 there, the, the success is maybe a little bit more more mixed, right? It, which happens, I suppose, yeah. when you have a kind of multiplication like that. And certainly, there are so many success stories, but they're also um, some disappointments, should we say. <laughs> and what we, should do you want to go through this? We've got obviously before we go into all the successes, we've got a kind of a, yes. an 11 that have been a bit disappointing for a French eleven <laughs> that and that's not to say that these guys weren't great players outside of the UK, just that in England, in the Premier League, they didn't quite uh, put it off. How, how do you
1: want to do this? Should we go through <laughs> the whole should I name the whole team straight away we, and then we go uh, through the lines? Should we go position by position? Position by but, position. But okay. I but also I, I agree Tom, you know, we obviously when we did that list we cracked up, right, because of our memories of those players. And then we looked at the level those guys not just the premier league but what level did they play and apart from two of those players each every player has had a cap for france yes and the two players who didn't had under 21 caps yes so we could you know we can laugh at them now and we do that you know i all i'm saying is we laugh but we we should acknowledge that they were we respect also. yeah we respect those players this is a team with I mean, over 100 caps for France. Admittedly,
0: a lot of them come from one player, but still. <laughs> uh Ingo. Fabulous Fab. Fabulous Fabian Barthez. <laughs> <So> th- <laughs> Man, what a keep, what a keeper, but not for United. I suppose this was the idea that Ferguson was going to stop playing around and trying to replace Schmeichel. Yeah. And, and get finally, after the kind of the Bosnish experiments, <laughs> the Tybee experiments, get a proper keeper in. Yeah. But it didn't quite,
1: didn't it, quite work out for Fabulous Fab. It... It's funny because I think his his time at United is tainted by the end of it where he basically gives the ball to Tiori really twice in the same game. But before that, in his first sort of... Because he stays there for, I think, three or four years. I think his first 18 months to two years are actually very solid. Is that saying much considering they just had Mark Bosnich, who Ferguson called the worst professional he'd ever seen in football, Massimo Taibi less said about him the better and Raymond van der Hau was like 48 (laughs) Um, so he was actually pretty solid at the start but obviously dropped off and I think the disappointment was they'd gone through that bad patch with those aforementioned keepers after having had an incredible goalkeeper in Schmeichel and it seemed like a slam dunk I mean Barthez was what in his he was maybe 30 when he joined World Cup winner you Know, hadn't put a foot wrong at club football for years, um, just exuded confidence, um, uh, but it just it, it, in the end, it just didn't really fit.
0: Yeah, it's what you do think that he had the charisma to succeed at Man United, right? And yeah, it, and it, it is a club that requires that kind of stuff. I, I wonder, I often wonder, do you think he would be even more highly rated now given his kind of his, his kicking ability? That yeah, kind of, he's quite. He, you know, although he's a '90s goalkeeper, he feels quite modern in in some ways. It's like Manuel Noya. he just love coming out. Yeah, love coming out. <laughs> amazing left Took to foot. Took risks. Yeah, but it didn't quite. I guess there were also lots of high profile mistakes, yeah. which I think for goalkeepers is always. Yes. It's kind of what it's kind of what you remember, and it can be difficult to recover from. And I th- that's the feeling that you get from his United careers. Yeah. I never.
1: And and yeah, and I mean, funnily enough, it, we we've picked him because there hasn't been such a. There haven't been so many goalkeepers coming in from, mm-hmm. so many French goalkeepers coming in as a whole, and then not not a huge out of those players, not many have been failures. I mean the other one we thought about, and that's shout out to my Crystal Palace friend Shakadimas, but it's uh you know, he's it's Steve Mandanda Came in, was what, maybe thirty two, thirty three for Marseille. I remember he's the type of player, like you were saying, when they signed him I don't know 4 million I thought goalkeeper at the peak of his powers yeah, international standards international he's numbered to, to Loris but there's no shame in that you know tolder was to Buffon not that I'm comparing Loris to Buffon um, and I thought slam again slam dunk and you know 15 games later he's gone and he's replaced yeah. by Wayne Hennessy <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if Wayne Hennessy is taking your place that's never a good sign <laughs> should we
0: go through the back four yeah right back Julien Faubert centre back pairing of Mongola. And Jean-Alain Boomsong Captain.
1: Captain Boumsong, Captain Boumsong,
0: <laughs> And then at left back, Ali Sisoko. Who Who comes to mind here? Who do you want to
1: talk about? Uh, well, It's it's tricky. I mean, obviously, Faubert somehow ended up at Real Madrid. That was uh, amazing, wasn't it? Oh, oh,
0: I like his one cap, one goal yeah. ratio for France. That's against, also strong.
1: Against Bosnia. He, I think he was more like a right winger in France and then came to the UK and played as a right back. Uh, distinctly average. It's in, in just physically and technically... You know, wasn't particularly fast, wasn't slow, wasn't tall, wasn't small, <laughs> wasn't re- <laughs> great on the ball. Uh, somehow ended up at Real Madrid on loan. Even Di Stefano, who they willed out, was like, what the hell's going on? Dozed off on the bench, came back. You know, I think everyone's forgot about that. And then somehow came back and still managed to play for West Ham. Um, not not much to say about him, really. I mean, obviously, then let's go with the wing backs, Ali Sissoko one of the worst left backs I've ever seen play football in my he's life
0: so odd. I feel like he had <laughs> one great season in his life which was for Porto and then that sort of triggered the Lyon signing and he was desperate over there there was no sign that he was going to be good
1: when he came to yeah. England and, and, th- and indeed he wasn't no and I think it was he's one of those statement signings by a club that let you know that it's it's that club's heading for relegation. you know yeah He'd gone on loan to Liverpool. He was dreadful, and yet they signed him. And that's when it, was it? Tim Sherwood might have been Tim Sherwood.
0: I, f- I feel it's the Sherwood <laughs> it years. And that's when you.
1: That's when I thought those guys they're going down. Um, he, yeah, he was he was terrible. Um, li- Honourable mention to Grégory Vignal <laughs> yeah, as, yeah. as his limited, deputy.
0: Limited players. Then Mangala boomsong I mean, among oh.
1: It's what, a shame, weren't they? Because we
0: those very highly rated before they came to mm-hmm. England. Boomsong had done well at Auxerre, then at Rangers. Mangala came with a huge reputation and, and indeed a huge transfer fee. But this was fairly disastrous from the start <laughs> in both
1: cases. Yeah, so so Boomsong, I kind of feel like there's some some circumstances and factors that should play in his favor. Um, one is a personal one. Apparently, his. I think we've talked about it before but his uh his family wasn't necessarily living with him when he was at Newcastle and I think his young daughter was quite ill so mm-hmm. you can imagine that could have had an impact on his on his mindset on his play you know we're all human that might have been something to do with it obviously the bigger footballing reason is that he freaking played next to Titus Bramble for about 4 years can't blame Titus now, <laughs> for everything <laughs> nobody I obviously no but it's obviously a factor um it was weird, Boom song, because he'd gone to Rangers, and I thought it's a bit hard p- p- to adapt. Absolutely. Sure, yeah, Very Kind of similar. like a Van
0: Dyke situation, yeah. right? You go to Scotland first, then you, yeah. join a mid-table Premier League team, and then you you win the Champions League,
1: and um, and then for Mangala, I remember watching his first game, and it was against Chelsea, and he utterly dominated Diego Costa, physically, technically, tactically, he just you know couldn't get couldn't get a foot in, and I thought wow, it's even better than advertised. And then, <laughs> you know, like 18 months later, they were basically trying to pay Valencia to, to get, to take it. Yeah, him.
0: yeah, it was a sharp decline. It's interesting how that happens. I remember the, uh, Eric Bailly as well, his early United yeah. performances were so dominant. Obviously not a French player, but, guess in a similar, similar style. Should we go through the midfield? Yeah. We've got a 4-2-3-1 here. I'm <laughs> going to go for the two, the, the double pivot, <laughs> of Bakayoko and uh, Bruno Cherou so Bakayoko obviously for Chelsea Bruno Cherou for Liverpool I think both struggled from some excessive hype I don't think it's ever a good idea to call someone (laughs) to compare someone to Zidane just as you buy them yeah and so it proved for for Bruno he was a disappointment
1: (laughs) well no, no, not much to say on both of them it's similar similar careers in in the UK as you said a lot of hype I mean was it 45 million for Bakayoko it was a lot of money yeah he was in the brilliant Monaco side yeah
0: that got to the final not quite semi-final
1: with like a 17 year old Mbappe yeah yes yes And uh, and Falcao up top. What pairing?
0: Thomas Lema was there also <laughs> as a strong side. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and yeah, he sort of came in, and it looked like he just never learned how to play football. You you know what I mean? It's sort of just technically, he just looked really awkward. It it was as if he just morphed into sort of Musa Sissoko, who's not a bad player, but you know, technically, has never looked. He, no, sorry, let me rephrase that. He looked like a midfield version of Mamadou Sakho. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know it's actually is actually decent on the ball but just a weird gait and a weird a quite it's so it
0: was so odd to see that right to see a 45 million player seem so um lacking in intensity mm. and lacking in confidence from the start i remember being quite shocked by his early performances and just thinking okay it's gonna it's gonna get better it's gonna yeah. get better and never really did. He did, and, and that it, you know, but he has reconstructed his career in Italy, yeah. where he's done quite well at uh, Napoli, by yeah. all accounts. Yeah. Um, so hopefully he can. Is he build on that?
1: He, he's still on loan, technically, isn't
0: he? I'm not sure to be honest. From Chelsea. Wow. He's one he of those be. Chelsea players that yeah. up on loan <laughs> One of the fifty-eight. <laughs> and Which
1: then, and then Bruno. I mean, wha- what is that to say compared to Zidane? <laughs> did have a sort of similar look, I guess. I th- yeah. Just. I think th- just, just, uh, just average. Just never, just never found his place. I think he was given, he was given a ch- his chance. That I think that's the most damning thing, in a way. You know, Bakayoko. It was he came in high expectations, didn't deliver, and very quickly he was cast aside. I felt, you know, it, he wasn't really given a prolonged run in the side. Sherry was given a prolonged run in the side, and he was just he wasn't really bringing anything. And I, I don't know whether that's because people because of that Zidane comparison thought they were getting a really highly technical 10 when my memory is that he's he was more of an 8. Uh-huh. Um and so when he wasn't, you know, hitting the target every other week, not that Zidane was a prolific goal scorer, but when he wasn't having that sort of impact, um quantifiable impact, then people were feeling that he was disappointing, but yeah. Let's go
0: into our front four, lots of lots of goals here Bapo. lots of creativity. Oh yeah. Okay. Right wing, Steve Marley. Yes. Number 10, Anthony Lotalek left wing, Gabriel Aubertin, oh my God. And up front, <laughs> Frédéric Piquet. Yeah. Where do you want to start here? I mean, p- 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 some big transfer fees. I remember Steve mm. Marley obviously coming to Fulham for 11 million, which was a big uh, amount at the time. He, and he, looked at like not a huge fee, but huge expectations, mm. right? We've talked about him, I think, as part yeah. of a kind of unfulfilled French, French talent.
1: But... Um, <laughs> That's an unthreatening front four. Very much so. I mean, Steve Marley, as you said, cost 11 million. Fulham's most expensive transfer until Costas Mitroglou. So... Just wanted to drop Mitroglou in there. Um Marley, the man whose transfer led to his president suing his manager for fraud. That's what happened when, after Tigena got sacked, al sued... Tigana, who was also, you know, a part-time agent for basically saying, why did you make me pay 11 million for, <laughs> for Marley? <this> <laughs> yeah. Because
0: uh, he was never really that prolific, even for Lyon. And for,
1: no, but 23 caps for France. Yeah, that's unbelievable, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, Marley just distinctly averaged when I think, unfor- you know, unfortunately for him, as you said, he wasn't prolific in, in France. He was more, yeah, we've put him on the right wing. He was sort of a, yeah, Striker winger? I can't quite not really necessarily leading in a line, right? Not a number nine. And I think he he came to Fulham. People had that expectation of him. Um I mean Letalek, we've talked about him. Look, he was was he ever really given his chance? Was he ever good enough to be given a chance? I don't know, you look at the rest of his career, it's just uh quote unquote mediocrity, right? Football <laughs> footballing mediocrity. Um I, I do want to talk a bit because I think the strikers will need to talk about quite a lot of them. But I do kind of want to talk about Gabriel Oberto. <laughs> He's played a lot, has not he,
0: Newcastle? It's so unthreatening always, you know, it's kind of fast winger, shaved head.
1: <laughs> but I, I remember him in France as this, you know, he was in the youth, France youth selections. And I remember seeing him play for Bordeaux and he actually had a good game with no end product, right? But mm. you could, you know, you could tell there was something there. It was so tantalising. You could tell why somebody would go for that. Like an early, like a 17-year-old Cristiano. could yeah. <laughs> Step overs on the side, beat a man one-on-one. And just, it, was, it wasn't a mirage. What I saw that day was exactly what it what was. What his whole career would end up being. <laughs> um, I handy. just want to have a little shout out for all the Newcastle French players.
0: <laughs> there are so many good ones and so many bad
1: ones also. Yeah. yeah actually, in our top 50, there are quite a few Newcastle players but you know shout out to Johan Gouffran, Florian Tauvin, Remy Cabela yes they could have played all across that front that, <laughs> that three midfield attacking midfield three
0: is this is this a Graham Carr so Alan Carr's dad because <laughs> famously he was a sort of scout at Newcastle yeah. and he'd go to France and it started off very well right he got exactly, Cabaye phenomenal yeah. player Denver Bar Younger Mbio uh, who, who nearly made that flop yeah. 11 but I suppose it was a no, it was kind of a no brainer, right? That you could, you could bring in t- top Ligue 1 players, yeah. and pay them higher wages, even for mid table side like Newcastle, and he yeah, and, saw that opportunity. And
1: and what was funny with those players is when Newcastle signed them, they were young but well established in 1, had a proven track record. You know, they they were following the cabal mold. Yes, you know, they 23, 24, but had probably played 100 games in France, notoriously difficult place to, you know, place to play. Um, so it it actually made a lot of sense. It wasn't such a huge investment that um, it was a massive flop, and that's maybe why they didn't make this squad in the end. But um, but I remember when he signed, you know, when he signed Tor- Cabella, I was like, well, actually. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. From what I've seen of them in France, it, they just didn't cut it in
0: Yeah, it's interesting. What do you think it is that you'd get such different I I suppose <laughs> I suppose you'd get more tactical details and instructions mm. from the average coach in France. That's not to say the coaching's better, it's just that it's Yeah. It's more tactical and precise. Yeah. And maybe, whereas I imagine an Alan Pardew type coaching <laughs> is very much it's more kind of old school British, you know, and yeah. as you I mean, in the introduction, you were talking about how Wenger is no tactical revolutionary, right? He mm. was very much a, he was a sophisticated French version of go out and express yourself last, yes. you know, he was a,
1: yeah, he was no Guardiola. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: I don't want to call him the French Harry Redknapp, but no, come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that.
1: You can't do that. But you know what I mean. It's very yeah. much
0: a kind of let letting players find solutions for themselves. Yes, and play with play freedom. Playing with freedom. You know, work player your
1: player way stuff. out of of tight situations. And tr- trust your trust your ability. That and, kind of and generally, I think particularly at the time, you had more of that in the UK than you would have
0: in in France. I think increasingly that's changing. Now, yeah. The top coaches that you have in the UK now are system based managers. Yes. Whether it's kind of two core Guardiola club, all these guys, it's it's not Chris going to express yourself. It's Chris Wilder. Play, yeah, play <laughs> your play your role. Play your role. The overlapping centre back. Yeah. Let's not forget that. Let's not. Let's <laughs> not forget about this centre forward also. Yes. I mean, uh, there like was some. There was a shortlist here, wasn't there? You could have gone for David Engle. Oh, you could have gone for for the big Lillian lessland at yep. Sunderland. You could have gone for. French World Cup winner and uh, swimming pool seller, (laughs) Stefan Givench. Instead, we went for Frederic uh, Piquion of West Ham fame because he really wasn't very good, was he?
1: No, and I think, in my mind, it was a really tight contest between Piquion and David (laughs) Engog just just because their track record, you know. I think Givash played something like four games for Newcastle before they cast him out. Now, you could obviously read into that what it was, which was, Jesus Christ, this guy is poor. Uh, We've made a mistake. Let's get rid of him at the first first go. I think similar with Lestland. you know, I think he played something like 12 games and they just said, go on loan to Germany now. Thank you very much. We'll probably pay your wages to go. David Engog, Gog, you're talking about more than 50 games. (laughs) (laughs) a <laughs> so track record with, uh, of missing uh, sitters and having no impact in the game you know <laughs> not knowing how to lead a line uh, looking clumsy with the ball I think Engog finished with something close to 100 games in Premier It was England, a right? mi- we so we went through the stats right of the leading uh, French players yeah. appearance
0: wise in, yeah. in the UK and of course it's the usual the usual suspects you know and then David Engog was there and you can't <laughs> believe that he played so many games with such little impact but it's interesting i think that's quite telling of, of how you judge both successes <laughs> and failures is that you yeah. look on you look for a sustained body of work you know
1: which is and i, th- I is think good of you uh, <laughs> i think pikion just edged it because you know engog still a young player when he came in obviously learned his trade at, at psg then basically on the bench at, at um, liverpool so you could say that he doesn't have a great scoring at record at liverpool is normal if most of his appearances are off the bench then he goes to bolton and he's not just underwhelming he's terrible so that played against him but piquet you know came came to pompey then west ham as a guy who you know he was what 28 between 28 and 32 basically at that time yeah he'd been a one cap france international he'd played for lyon he played for some big clubs in france not that he had a track record of being prolific but you know in france strikers aren't necessarily the most prolific, and they can work very well in 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 the uk and he was just it was just nothing you know he was a big you know big guy physical not you know not a bad touch for a big man but it was just he just didn't fit not that he was a poor you know poor player he just didn't fit but he was was bad he was bad he
0: was bad what's nice about this is going through players that you'd completely forgotten right and he was and you know good players you'd completely forgotten Michael Silvestre to a certain extent (laughs) but uh, but Frédéric Piquion was one (laughs) that you would put on the kind of the other side of that coin can
1: we uh, can I also just mention who the manager would be for this so Tell I'm me, <laughs> the man whose tactical innovation <laughs> led to the say park the bus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> really?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a Tottenham Chelsea game. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one and only Jacques Santini. Oh, man- yes. Managed Lyon, broke Lyon. You know, they broke their duck, winning the title for the first time under him. Managed France, didn't work out well, but still went to the quarterfinals of the Euros in two thousand and four. Which isn't yeah, we lost to Greece, but so did everyone else. Um. Then joins Tottenham. Not sure immediately after, or maybe you know a year after. Last about six months, and then disappears. I don't think I've ever. So you he sure he's done the since.
0: bus at Chelsea.
1: Well, I'd like to think it was at Chelsea. Yes, but yeah, am Not yeah, even yeah. sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, but because part because Mourinho in in that media savvy way that he he's the guy that first used this expression. Yeah in the UK which is a fantastic I love it it's a fantastic <laughs> one it's such a great image and of yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it was for this game it was for this game <laughs> yeah just driving your bus in front of <laughs> <laughs> I love it it was um, as a result of that game of coming up against Jacques Santini's Spurs
0: okay oh that was that was the biggest impact Jacques has yeah Jacques, Jacques has had and uh, special mentions for who for Alain Perrin I suppose who was yeah, yeah. Famously strong, strong, disappointing. strong performance as well what do you think of Claude Puel so ah Yes. interesting one, I think, is he became a, the symbol of a certain uh,
1: French anti-charisma, mm. you know? Well, he's, he's not... Known, he was a decent yeah. manager. He's not no. known in France for his charisma. Right. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, he, as a player, I think he holds the record for appearances in top flight for an outfield player. Just this, you know, battling, holding midfielder, Played about six hundred games, so even as a player, not you know, not necessarily known for being you know, not the. F- it's not that he wasn't the first name on a team sheet, but not somebody would look up to, right? I think as a coach, he's he has a good reputation in France. You know, he developed a lot of youngsters. His team's played good football. He w- he won a title with Monaco. Um, and but th- it, but in the UK, I I I, I, think I don't know, just a bit, a bit underwhelming.
0: It. Yeah, I think he got. It. A bit of a harsh time. Obviously, mm. he had that slightly hard rebuilding job. But this whole exciting young Leicester side, yeah, he s- started to put some of those pieces into yeah, motion in terms be. of in terms of trusting some of the youth from the academy, playing more young players, trying to transition the style, which is really, yeah, which is really difficult. obviously, Brendan Rodgers has done fantastic and much better than him. But I do, I do think he was.
1: But I don't think he, he d- suffered
0: from his. his his sort of media presence right or lack
1: thereof yeah but he didn't do a bad job at southampton and he didn't didn't do a bad job at leicester now yeah he probably did frankly when you look at southampton's track record over the last five or six years he did a good job not an incredible one not a really bad one he did a solid job at leicester i think people expected more and he just not that he was it's not like he was leading them to relegation or anything they were just sort of stuck in mid-table
0: He's definitely not managing this side. He's not the manager no. of Flop 11. That's, that's Jacques. <laughs> okay. So obviously the idea of this episode was to kind of introduce the the series a little bit, what we're going to be going through. I suppose, obviously, um, next time we'll start going through the list. Yes. Yes. I suppose the list is the top 50. And of course, it means certain players just miss the cut. Yeah. And just because you missed the cut doesn't mean that you don't deserve a little shout out on on the classic, so we've got a couple <laughs> of players here who just missed out. Should we take it in turns to? You yeah, know, go you for it. Which one's, which one's which yours? You go. where's a Fulham fan, I'm going to th- pick Sylvain Legwinski, who just just missed out. A really reliable, uh solid, uh but also quite technically competent sort of midfielder. Mm. I think known in France much more for playing kind of central midfield, and then when he arrived, we sort of. <laughs> posted on the right wing which is a little bit odd but he could he always he always did a job and I think the three th- seasons at Fulham was a really excellent
1: performer there so that's that's my first pick I'm, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go for say. interesting yeah that I just remember when he signed for Liverpool I just thought he seemed tailor-made yeah, perfect for English football. perfect the guy who doesn't and I mean that in the best possible sense is the guy who doesn't think when he plays it's all instinctive mm. right just make me run behind a defence and I'll I'll hoof it into the top corner, um without thinking twice about it. And so I was re- you know, I was really looking forward to seeing him play. Obviously he had that devastating injury in his first season, right? I remember Milan Barros saying he heard the leg mm. crack from and apparently he nearly lost his leg. I think he had to be yeah. put back in in its place on and the pitch. And fair
0: play to him to for coming back and yeah. really, you know, completing a career.
1: Yeah, all, really. it's it's a bit of a what if right with him mm. but he was still a very serviceable player after that I mean they basically tried to heskey with him at Liverpool and put him on the wing and I was like what is going on um, and then later on when he came on loan to Sunderland was like him and Asamoah Gyan were doing well I think that was that partnership um, he went to QPR and, and did really well for them a a limited period of time so yeah just thought I'd mention him because he was it's just Fate, in a way, just stopped him in his tracks a little bit. Yeah, which is which is a shame because he was a really exciting player to, and actually, you know, had some good times in the Premier
0: League. What, one of, one of the players that we struggled with a little bit was Eunice U- Kabul, and he didn't make it into mm. our top fifty. But it's interesting because he played a lot of games in the Premier League, and indeed, most of his career was there. But our feeling was, whilst he maybe had sort of one good season with Tottenham, is a very injury prone? Yeah. Uh, and and B, maybe somewhat underwhelming given the quantity of games that he's played and there were people that would play his amount of games and that stood out a, a lot more. But it's an interesting one given how many appearances he racked up. I think it's, you know, close to 200, which is Yeah,
1: great. yeah. I was surprised by that. Mm. Um, but I think that, I, I was surprised by that because I don't really have any real memories of Eunice Cabool, right? To your point. Wasn't... Just him looking Wasn't hench. ever... Re- <laughs> So he was, a <laughs> was a wasn't ever really established in the starting 11 at Tottenham had I think probably had a season where he had a really good run but apart from that never really felt like he was going to be long term first choice or even mid you know medium term first choice and then you know Pompey Pompey when they were going down effectively um Watford you know not the most inspiring either
0: any other standout here? I think what's what's interesting to me is we have obviously a couple of players here who are playing now, and I think mm. if you do this in a couple of years, they're probably in there. I think one of them to me is is Abdoulaye Dukoure. Yeah, from from Everton and previously, from from Watford, an impressive sort of box-to-box player, eye for goal. Um, in combination with kind of Allen, seems to have shame about Allen's injuries, but seems to have mm. solved some of Everton's yeah yeah problems he's in midfield and he's he's been impressive and i think he will he'll be a climber <laughs> if we turn this into the, uh, <laughs> into a guardian type um guardian type list
1: what one i one that i did like and i think we talked a bit about him was um olivier dacour mm-hmm. he had a first into everton which i do not recall at all, but i do remember him at Leeds and some feisty games with Arsenal. Um, him and Eric Bakker dominating the midfield against Vieira, and he always gave it. You know, he had a decent number of caps for France. Played very well in Italy, yes. and he w- and he was good at Leeds. Um, I think it was just too. His time was too short. His impact was t- was too short as well. But he was certainly one of which I had fond memories. Yeah,
0: that kind of lead that that Leeds team that made it to the semi-finals yeah. of the chemi- Unbelievable. Yeah. I maybe they can bring that back with, with <laughs> Um
1: Anyone else here?
0: Kurt Zouma is obviously playing at the moment. but
1: Yeah, very little cultural impact though, Kurt, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. He's been a little bit, obviously he had some loan spells where he's played, but obviously got relegated with Stoke and Everton was, was okay, but so-so. And I think he needs to do a little bit more to make it into our... Mm into our top 50
1: Uh, the you know one that missed a cut and again similar to Cissé but even more than Cissé is just what would have happened without injuries is Abu Dhabi sure um Vieira's successor (laughs) in theory looked good when he started and then had you know a terrible run of injuries uh, which meant he never he never really attained the level long term that people were hoping for him
0: um did he ever manage to play after? Because he went back to France, didn't he? didn't he?
1: Yeah, I think he was on a pay, p- pay, pay as you play, play contract at Marseille. Yeah, it just Nothing didn't quite work. Just yeah. didn't work out.
0: Sad times. We saw him recently, didn't we? In the that footage of the Clairefontaine yeah. academy, <laughs> where he's in a fight with a player who is in our top 50. Yes. F- thanks, in, in no short part on my intense lobbying. <laughs> um, but I guess we'll keep that as a little surprise for our, for our next episode. Um, so this is it I suppose it's Yeah. introduction yeah. so we'll kick uh, on with the list we'll I'll kick on that. with the list it's going to be exciting we'll start obviously from the bottom from 50 onwards <laughs> uh, but Bapo, thanks for going through this and uh, I guess we'll see you soon when we get into the, the top 50 proper can't wait this has been Le Classique and this has been a podcast on the top 50 players in English Premier League history